Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Online, on your mobile, and on FM. From the home of time. This is Maritime Radio, Greenwich. Good evening to you and welcome to Charlton Live here on Maritime Radio on your Sunday evening. My name is Louis Mendez and joining me in the studio here for a very special episode of Charlton Live is uh, Mr. Tom Wallin. How you doing, Tom? All right, Louis. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Excellent stuff. And uh, we've got a special guest in the studio tonight, uh, Matt Wright. How you doing, Matt? Yeah, not sure it's special, but yeah, good evening. <laughs> Great to be here. Yeah, and uh, the reason you're here is a very good reason, of course. Uh, you've provided us with a, a really spectacular uh, Chris Powell interview. Uh, five years ago, hard to believe it is, but five years ago since uh, since Dave Lockwood shouted that special that that word champions here at the Valley after that game against uh, against Wickham uh, when we just won the the championship. And obviously, the man that masterminded that, Sir Chris Powell, as he's known uh, around these parts, uh, we're going to hear from him this evening. Uh, Matt, you, you did an interview with him, uh, and you're kind enough to let us have it. 
Yeah, so I, I did an interview for uh, the Voice of the Valley fanzine, um, now on sale, um, www.voiceofthevalleyonline.com, obviously, but um, yes, we, we just thought that in, the way Chris speaks um, is obviously very passionate, he's, he's very evocative, so we thought that um, you might like it as well, so yeah, ha- happy to be here and talk about it all. Yeah, so we're very grateful to, to both Matt and to Rick at the Voice of the Valley fanzine for, for letting us have this audio, uh, and, and as Matt mentioned there, it's definitely worth going out and getting a copy, because there's, there's, I think there's more stuff from, from the interview in there, and the, obviously there's lots of other great stuff in the Voice of the Valley fanzine as well. Also on tonight's show, of course, uh, we very briefly look back at yesterday's 2-1 win against Chesterfield, that... Uh, Keep, keeps that uh, winning run going of one game. Is it two two games now? Is it <laughs> three of the last four? Three, three out of the last, yeah. Basically, champions champions form. Champion form yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just just come at the wrong time of the season, sadly. Uh, and we're going to hear from uh, from uh, Carl Robinson, uh, the Charlton manager. You're all looking forward to hearing from on tonight's show, I'm sure. Uh, on that show, you know, obviously, we want to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, I think this is more of a reminiscing show rather than rather than anything else. We will look back at yesterday's game. If you want to mention anything about yesterday's game or perhaps the the news that, that was revealed by sort of Carl Robertson yesterday sort of half revealed about, about Johnny Jackson uh, you can let us know about that but also we want to know your memories of that fantastic record breaking season uh, here at the Valley five years ago now the 101 point uh, season as we won League One it, just, it, it seems like such an alien world now when you, when you talk about it but like we said we want to know what you guys uh, remember about that season so there's plenty of ways you can get in contact with us you can email us studio at charltonlive.co.uk or you can tweet us at charltonlive or you can head over to the Charlton Live forum uh, where you can uh, leave a comment on our, on our thread for tonight's show on there but right obviously uh, as we've said tonight was uh, five years since a, a very special weekend five years ago this weekend certain Dave Lockwood shout out this special word Where you uh, that, that that special day and where you were, I guess I know exactly where I was up in the in the northwest quadrant. Uh, Matt, you were working at the club at the time, so I guess uh, the the culmination of a season like that as a supporter as well must have must have been very special. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's not very um, heartwarming or something, but I remember it just being a season of incredibly hard work <laughs> um, behind the scenes. Um, we, we we were fairly short staffed um, just throughout the season, uh, myself and a few others. Um, and then right towards the end, you know, there, there was just this great reward. Um, and, and throughout the season, it, it was just the football and the results and the success that managed to, to keep you going. Mm. Uh, now, obviously, the, 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 the way that I guess the build up to that season was with Chris Powell coming in beforehand. And we'll, we'll, we'll start to hear the interview in a minute. But he had, he had such a job on his hands to turn around the, the, the way the club was at that time. And we were sort of we, we ended up finishing in mid table in League One uh, in, in his first sort of half season. But it's, it was just the, the aura around the place. Of, uh, we were still suffering a relegation hangover from a couple of years before and just a, a couple of years further before that was a Premier League relegation. I mean, it was, we, we were just on such a downward spiral. And it, just before Powell came in, it felt like we were never, ever going to get out of it. Yeah, I mean, that was true, obviously, on the pitch, um, off the pitch, behind the scenes, you know, morale was really low in the club, um, finances were, were terrible, you, you had to go jump through any kind of hoops to get, you know, a penny, never mind any sort of significant vest- investment in any in any 
um, any minor thing that you wanted to do to try and make your, your life and your job easier. Um, and then Chris came in, and, and it was it was very clear from the outset that he made clear that it was a massive job. Um, but then, as he, he, he explains, there was the, the Nadir at Dagenham and Redbridge. Hmm. Um, but from that point on, um, everyone knew the size of the task, and everyone embraced that task. I think was the key thing. Yeah, and uh, Tom, as, as supporters, obviously, we, we weren't involved in, in anything to do with working at the club there, so we were we were sort of outsiders watching on, but. Uh, when, when Chris Bell came back, obviously he was a hero at the club from his playing days, represented England whilst playing for the club. I think three, three playing spells altogether. All yeah. I mean, um, just, that, just to have someone like that at the helm of the club, it, it, just, it just gives you that lift, doesn't it? I've, uh, I've still got a screenshot somewhere because I was up at uni um, at the time and uh, Parkey left and I remember checking the odds on Skybet and I think that for a long while Dennis Wise was favourite. And then uh, one day I looked on and Chris Powell was favourite out of nowhere and I've still got a screenshot of his odds and I, and obviously then he, he got the job and as you say, we're, we're a club that, that with that family sort of structure that we've got, it was so good that he came in and it was, as you've both said, exactly what the club needed at that time because everything, like Matt can say more than I can about behind the scenes, but with everything being so negative and having just dropped down the leagues like that, we needed something like that to give us that boost and he was the man to come in and do it. Right, he is the man to come in and do it. He's the man that we want to hear from. Now, there's there's plenty of different sort of clips of this uh, of this interview. We're going to dip in and out of it uh, over over the course of the show. But the, I mean, the first one, the first one, obviously, Matt, you did the interview. But the question was something along the lines of what what the first emotion was that that, that comes uh, when, when Chris Powell's asked to, to look back at it. So, you know, five years on, how does Chris Powell feel when he remembers that spectacular season? Well, it's one of real uh, real pride and achievement for myself. Well, not only myself, but all the staff and the, the players and especially the supporters because we, we, we achieved uh, something that uh, I was told, and you can maybe tell me this, but only... There's only three other managers, apart from myself, has won something for John. So, you know, that, that in itself is something that will stick with me forever. A big part of the club's history forever. And it's just the way we've done it. Looking back, uh, I think you, you're so immersed in it, week in, week out, day mm. in, day out, that you kind of don't always look at and recognise exactly how well we did as as a football club. You know, we had to. We it was a rebuilding job on and off, and I mean off in capital letters. I mean, looking back, and you know, I can always tell you the statistics. Most of them, anyway. You know, thirty wins, eleven draws, five losses. I can, I can rattle it off to you: fifteen home wins, fifteen away wins. You know, and, and if you really press me, I think I could tell you all the scores, all the scorers virtually, because. It's just a, it was just something that, you know, we hoped for and we planned for, perhaps, but actually executing it is a different matter. And those players, each and every one of them did that, you know, and there were, there were times, uh, where I suppose people doubted us a little bit, but we were top from September the 17th and we never left there until the end of the season. And again, I know the date because it's my daughter's birthday. And I keep saying this, people laugh at me about dates. There's something about birthdays that connect me with Charlton. 
you know, we, we got promoted on my mum's birthday, we met up on my daughter's birthday, uh, I played for England, my debut when I was a child, on my wife's birthday. So there we go, Chris Family. Some people talk about how they might be superstitious and stuff, but obviously Chris Chris finds that uh, the dates have a have a special a special meaning for him. I mean, everyone now knows when when it's the anniversary of us of, of the, the day at Carlisle that that's Chris Powell's mum's birthday. You, you always remember to try and wish Chris Powell's mum a happy birthday on that day, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, sh- I should say that we I did I did the um, the interview when he was driving up to um, to Derby to do, to work for a Sky game. He was stuck on the North Circuit at the time. Um, so we, we did it on his mobile over the phone, and um, the audio just cut out there. But he, he was a, he, he said that um, his birthday September the eighth. Um, he doesn't have um, a Charlton memory for seven, September the eighth yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I think the key word there is yet. <laughs> so still, hopefully, chance uh, for for him. Maybe that could be the day he comes back. Maybe if, if Carl sadly gets sacked. Or something along those lines <laughs> at the start of next season for whatever reason. You got him a bit earlier, I think. Really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean. The, you, you talked about how hard, how hard, how much hard work you had to do in the in the course of that season. I mean, I, I get the sense of li- listening to this interview that, that there was a real sense of togetherness at the club, and, and you felt that no matter what your role was at the club, if you were if you were a player, part of the coaching staff, the media team, or the tea lady, it felt it felt like the, the way that Chris talks about it, that it was just a, a, a the effort of everyone that, that came to go. And did, did it feel like that at the end of the season that you'd played your part in in, in this promotion? Definitely, do I think you put your finger on it? I mean, one, one thing Chris encouraged um, was was very much um, a team spirit throughout the club. Um, you you often get a situation at football clubs where the training ground is separated from the valley. That's that's happened, you know, many over many years here at Charlton. Um, when Chris Powell was in charge, that that wasn't the case. You know, he he made a real stride to bring the two the two sites closer together. Um, he he was regularly over at the valley. He, he brought players over to the valley to talk to staff. Um, it, there was very much a feeling of we're all in it together. Um, and he he made real efforts. You know, the, the the one thing he would do he was is he would include you in decisions. He may not agree with you, but he he made the time to listen to you. You know, whether it was me, whether it was one of his coaches, whether it was the tea lady, as you say, um, the, he he gave them that time. And as I say, you might make a different decision than the one you want at the end, but you knew you would listen to. We even heard that. Um, obviously, I think this was after you'd left by then. But on on the day that that, that Chris Powell was uh, relieved of his of his duties. Uh, you hear stories that he, he went round the training ground and made sure he said goodbye to everyone uh, with with the new manager already there. But, <laughs> but that's for another day, Tom. I mean, the, the sense of togetherness wasn't just for people who worked within the club. I mean, as fans, you were part of that journey, weren't you? Yeah, I, I never felt as connected to the club as then. And you know, I've said on this show before how uh, you know I didn't grow up around here. I, I'm first generation Charlton fan in my family, so it's not like I've got hundreds of friends that I came here to you know with week in week out and. That season was the first season where really that all came together and something I think I noticed more than ever, particularly through social media, was not just the club's relationship with fans through social media, but the players as well. They were so so responsive and as Matt says, there was just that, that feel that everyone was in it together and players and fans were kind of, there was a, a proper relationship there and obviously now you get players come out and they might have a photo with kids as they leave the ground or whatever, but it, it's not the same as, as that season in particular was and it was just such a good bond and, and everyone came together and obviously it 
showed in the end in, in how we performed throughout the season but yeah it was just a, a really special time to be a Charlton fan and I just look, I mean, we've asked for, for the listeners feelings on uh, on, on how you know on, on look, reminiscing what, what it was like that season a great one from Dan Chee which just summed it up really said he's, he just reminded being proud to be a Charlton fan mm. and, and that season I mean that that season, from a personal point of view, I remember I, I went. I went. I, I was going to sort of most away games at that point. But I remember the, the point in the season around Christmas. Where I said, right, from now on, I have to go to every game, mm. and and it's just because you, you were part and you were proud, and you, and you know if you look at the. The, the friendships you make in that season when, when, the, when the team's being successful. I remember I first started going, hanging around with what we called the ROD on tour crew, mm. like the, the Rose that we used to go to the Rose of Denmark before. And these sort of things that they build and they start in, in a season like that, in a great season like that, and they build forever. And even today, I went to watch uh, one of them running in the marathon at the Rose of Denmark. I mean, that, that's the way that that sort of stuff uh, builds, really. And, and I guess. You know, there's going to be a lot of comparisons, I think, from that season to today, unfortunately. And mm. that feeling now, where we are talking to the, the few friends that still come at the moment, they're, they're saying they miss that sort of that sort of happiness around the club and what goes on now. It, it, you know, a successful season like that is what you need to, to build those sort of friendships and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's easy to forget that you know the season before the, the six months when um, Powell took over, mm. you know, how grim that was. Ooh. I mean, at, at, at the end of three years of grimness, <laughs> um, Phil Parkinson, un, un, you know, a bit unlucky to, to lose his job as the owners came in. Um, you know, a thoroughly decent man and, and a decent coach, as he's, as he's gone on to prove in easier circumstances elsewhere. Mm. Um, but then Powell just came in and, and, and transformed everything. It didn't, it wasn't overnight, but... Mm. Um, but ultimately, it was obviously for the better. I guess we could have that conversation really about because I, I remember thinking that, that Parky was unlucky t- to be sacked at the time. But mm. in terms of you know, as Chris talks about this, the the, the, the downward spiral of the club were on. Even though we'd had a decent season, got into the playoffs under Parky, the second half of the season we were still what fifth or sixth when he got sacked. But in t- if a mentality thing, you know, you feel like we were plodding along, not playing the greatest of football, getting where we need to. The, the way that when Chris Powell came in, obviously it, it did go massively downhill that season. I think we finished 13th. But just having a hero like that, and we, we lord him probably even too much on this show, but you know, having someone like that to look up to, it just brings a whole new feeling to the club. And that's what, you know, whereas Parky was probably unlucky to lose his job, it, it just completely changed the mentality of the fan base because they had, again, someone to, to hero worship, which we hadn't had for a while. And he gave him a clean slate as well. He he, he could come in and um, with the new owners, um, obviously Peter Varney playing an influential role as well. Um, he he had the the both the ability and was given the capacity to make changes and 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 completely shake things up. Mm. Uh, right, we just had a, a tweet in from Terry Smith, who's uh, having a, a well-earned rest today after driving all the way to, to Chesterfield and back yesterday. He says, uh, Chris Powell at the club was so much more than that, uh, just that promotion season. We all believed uh, and would have followed him absolutely anywhere. Now, um, this is a, what we're about, the, the second part of the interview is about rebuilding the squad. Now, this is something that's going to have to happen this summer, um, and so and something that's happened every six months or so over the last over the last few years because of the amount of loanies and, and players that come and go uh, but the way you have to rebuild a team is especially if you're if you're going to go from you want to do it as early as possible you want to make sure you're getting the right characters in uh, so obviously Chris Powell uh, did a ph- phenomenal job really of that at the start of the 11-12 season and now uh, Matt you asked uh, you asked Chris Powell when he when he had to start thinking about the the rebuild of the squad and this is what he had to say it started during that season uh, after maybe, well, I, I tell you what, it really, really had to 
so a company kept the fruition with us, so we put it back in a little yeah. Because I've never seen child times like that in my lifetime. You know, we had some down times when I was a player, but we had more good times than whenever we had a downturn in results or performances, we, we seem to rally around one another and the club always came together but stagnant and walking towards the fans down that tunnel and the abuse we got, you know, and I, I almost shy away from it and, you know, I'm not going to pinpoint anyway. You know, I think we kind of, I think it was that sort of the dear moment where everyone went, well, how low can we get? And that's not just Dagenham, the play went on the day and earned the right to, to beat us 2-1. But that was it. That was a moment I, I remember getting on the coach and being sort of really not alone, uh, because I've always had good staff in Alex and Damien and, and Ben and, you know, Phil Chapel and Errol at the time, but we needed to change. And I just said, you know, we need to change everything and we need to do it as soon as we can. And we need to just get through to the end of the season and really make some big decisions, some harsh decisions. You know, someone like Jose Semedo was player of the year and a real likable guy, but I just felt we needed to, to be fair to him and be fair to us. We needed to move on and create a new team, create a new squad and a new feeling. So after Dagenham, it was still... Uh, Chief Scout at the time, and I spoke to Pete Varney and Steve Cavanagh and said that we we need to come together and make a, a real change and have some players that just haven't been affected by all what's gone on. Because quite clearly, everyone's been affected, and I don't want new players mixing in with old players that are affected by it. I just want the fans to kind of say, okay, that part of our history is gone. Let's move on and see if we can create new heroes, a new feeling, a new team, and, you know, hopefully some real sort of passion and history that everyone would be proud of. And, uh, you know, we did that. So we started looking at what players we could get in on clever free transfers, and uh, Selling Carl Jenkinson was uh, an added bonus. I managed to use the money to buy with Royce Wiggins and now uh, Stevens and Danny Green. Um, there was a little bit left over, just some real small fees to uh, Michael Morrison uh, and Ben Hamer. And then we bought in some good fees. Uh, Matt Taylor came in, Danny Holland. On a three, and obviously we, we utilised what players were there: with Johnny Jackson, and Scott Wagstaff, and Chris Solly. So all of a sudden, you know, we started to build a team and a squad that really didn't have any attachment to what had gone on before. And all they saw was Charlton Athletic, uh, a well-supported club, a fantastic stadium, good infrastructure. Used to be in the Premier League, now in League One. But want want to get back there. They all bought into it, so that was uh, that was sort of my my USP with a lot of the players. Whenever I met them, and I met them, you know, during the course of the 
tail end of that season and obviously throughout my summer, my summer, I grabbed a holiday, but I was on the phone all the time and I remember meeting Tony on my holiday as well. Uh, and that's what we had to do. You know, straight away we knew that the two Sheffield clubs would have bigger budgets and would have squads that were used to League One. Uh, we knew Preston and Huddersfield would, would have budget bigger than us. So we, we, we knew we had to be a bit creative, rely on a few younger players like Chris, like, like Scott, uh, and Marriott with some good experience at the level and some clever uh, astute buys that would also gain a value, like, like a winner, like a stick. So we, we, that was the way we, we went about it. Uh, and what system we would play and get players to fit into what we were going to do that season. Was, the, was there a conscious decision to bring in leaders? Yeah, well, there definitely was, because if you remember, Samido was captain, and he was, again, more a leader by example. Jacko, uh, I was just getting to know. But yeah, Michael Morris and I, I played alongside and always felt he had leadership qualities. Um, even from when he was, uh, playing at Leicester when he joined from Cambridge. Uh, one player you didn't mention there, Matt Taylor was next, you know. Uh, Danny Holland had been captain, but he, he was, uh, a bit quieter than what we thought. But, uh, there were players we felt could grow Chris Solly, leader by example. Jan Kermigan, when he came in, leader by example. Brad was a leader by example with Dale. I thought had qualities that he could possibly be a captain. So our spine was good with potential leaders. And obviously, I had a decision to make with regards to Matt Taylor or Jacko. I think during the course of the pre-season, I'm sure some Eagle Eye fans will remember, I, I made different player captain for all the games during pre-season. So I had Jacko captain, I had Danny Holland as captain, I had Matt Taylor as captain, um, I think I gave Chris Solly the art band for pre-season game. It's just so I didn't want pressure on anyone, I wanted to get to know them. And in the end there were two outstanding candidates at that time in uh, Jacko and Matt Taylor. And uh, I suppose the rest is history, I Jackal in the end because I just felt he would relate more to the fans and it would just take a bit of pressure away from Matt Taylor who was a new player and they were a bunch that almost managed themselves of course I had to uh, had to reel them in a few times as you do uh, and listen that they uh, they really bought into it and, uh, you know I'd I, I, I'd be amazed if I get another group like that in my so there you go, Chris Powell. Talk, talking about the the group of players and, and just the way you ended there, like um, saying it would be amazing if he gets another group like that. I mean, the, the, I mean, you asked him there, was, 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 
when, when they were looking to rebuild the squad, were they thinking about bringing in leaders and, and that those sort of characters are so so important, I guess. And he, he reeled off a few names there, but you, you did feel there, there was so there were so many leaders in that squad uh, and such a good such a good mentality that you felt even when the chips were down. For example, uh, the one the one home game I missed that season, I think, was the Notts County game when we were four 0 down at half time. But but to, I mean that. Uh, any other team could have crumbled under, under a game like that. Yeah, I mean, the, that, that game comes up in our chat later um, <laughs> as, as one of the sort of the main obstacles that, that the team faced that year. Um, uh, Chris, Chris, I think, just calls it horrendous, you know, we fought him <laughs> down because we lost the previous game as well. Colchester, wasn't against it? Yeah. Colchester. Um, and not preemptive. But, you know, we fought him down at half time. We came out, we won that second half 2 0. So mm. we still lost 4 2. But. It, it, it was still a much improved half that, that gave you some 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 hope that things would be better the following mm. week and so on. So you could come away with um, with a lot more positivity. As we said, sort of just before we went into that, you know the the rebuild the rebuild of the team that we're going to have to do this summer. And when you compare it to what we did that summer, I've, I've, I've counted it out. I mean, we must have had ten or eleven signings in before pre-season started that year, which is just incredible. I can give you the precise stats yeah. if you want, yeah. Louis. Yeah. Um, we had nine. Signings completed before pre-season started. Uh, the first one, first two were Hollands and Pritchard. Uh, then we had an agreement for Nick Pope. Um, Paul Hayes actually was signed up well before um, it was actually announced. We 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 actually did an interview with him and we had him all more or less signed up, um, but we couldn't actually announce it for a good good while. Uh, Royce Wiggins, Dale Stevens, um, the oft-forgotten Michael Alonso. Um, Neil Sullivan and Danny Green were, were all signed before pre-season even started before the players reported back so that was nine and then 15 players were signed before um, before the start of the season yeah, and, and to have that, that whole pre-season together I guess is how, is how you would look to build um you know, uh, a team basically. You need you, you know each other's games. Uh, I mean, we talk about the characters as well. I mean, I, again for you this one, Matt, because you were part of the club. You know, you know what the, the the feeling was around the training ground because obviously, as as fans, we come and we come and watch ninety minutes on a Saturday. We don't re- we don't tend to see too much of what goes on behind the scenes. And so, um, camaraderie was that was that quite clear at, at that time? Yeah, there was there was a lot of camaraderie. And I, I think that as well came from Powell's realization that that wasn't present in the squad the previous year. Mm. Um, it, it was very much um, a team of uh, players chucked together um, with whatever finance could be provided, um, and then Phil Parkinson sort of did did what he could. Um, this this um, squad was was built with with a single purpose in mind. It, it, it was constructed. It was constructed to fit a formation, to fit a structure with the right types of people. Um, Powell and Varney have talked long and hard about um, how they investigated players' characters. They knew everything about player before before they um, mm. before they signed him. They they spoke to them. They met them. Um, spoke about their families um, and that sort of thing. So ev- everything was in place with just with just one aim, which was which was promotion. And interesting that you mentioned that the, the team was the players were brought in to, to build up a certain formation because now we know this summer. Carl Robinson's got his favoured formation, mm. the four-two-three-one. Um, he's talked about, you know, we, we've asked him loads of times over the last few weeks about, are, are you going to be allowed to, to build your team in, in 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 your image effectively? Now, if you look at last season, 
you know, we, we all felt really confident when all of a sudden we had, was it a Jose, we had Novak and we had Ricky Holmes, who between them had scored 49 goals in, in, in this league and the league below last season. You thought, well, here we go. Here, here's, here's some foundations, but it was never built upon. Now, again, we're going to compare it to this year. Is Carl going to be given given the resources to, to do what he want, he needs to do this year to have any chance of doing what Powell I mean, what Powell did in that season was unbelievable because it, to get a team, a brand new team, to, to play from the very first day of that 3-0 win against Bournemouth, to get him playing the way you want to is one hell of a task, and Carl Robinson's got one hell of a job on his hands to try and repeat that, hasn't he? Mm, I think I'd be shocked if we managed to start the season like that, even if he's given as much money as he wants and gets every player in that he wants, just because I think that was just so special what happened. But I think there's there's a couple of points there, and the main one is, is making sure that he... He knows that formation, as you say, and it's being able to bring the players in to suit that formation because that was what was so important under Powell. Um, but I also think you look at, yes, we brought in Novak and a Jose and Holmes, but they're almost like football manager type signings. You know, they'd all done well the season before, so anyone could see that those players were were able to be bought. But was there that background check? Was there those talks with those players? Did we know if those players could work together, or did we look at the players that had done well and think, right, we'll cherry pick him, him, and him? without any real idea of the system that was going to be played because they came in late, because it was a new manager again. There was so much change. Whereas, as Matt says, Powell, you know, we've talked again and again about they don't meet with the players now by the sound of things. They go on stats alone. And and that's the big difference between the squads now. That that unity doesn't seem there and that, that dedication to the club. And, and that really came through under Powell's side. And you just don't see that in a side at the moment. I mean, that was one of the big problems last season. Well, yeah. one of the many big problems last season. <laughs> we, we, we could have a whole hour and a half talking about the problems we had last season. But the rifts in the dressing room was something. I mean, that, mm. that 5 0 defeat at Huddersfield. I'll, yeah. ne- I'll never forget. Uh, the way that Rezegu Chanajak got sent off in that game because mm. you know I mean, it was it was a joke. It, 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 it seemed to me, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to I'm going to allege this, but you know, it felt like he got himself sent off on purpose, mm. and that's what then caused. Uh, I mean, we all heard about the rift in the dressing room after, and there were some big characters who were involved in that. Some big characters who were on our side, I'd call it that yeah. way. One of whom came out to to speak to us after the game when when Carol Fry didn't fancy it. Uh, well, I mean, you see that last year, and Chris Solly mentioned it uh, when we spoke to him at the Player of the Year dinner last year. Talk about the characters you need in the squad. And I think, I think to be fair to Russell Slade, I think he knew that this season when he, when he talked about uh, the, you know having to rebuild the mentality of the team, mm. and, and you know obviously he got sacked, but that, that's what's going to have to happen again. And uh, not only did he get sacked, but during the summer he clearly wasn't given enough of a chance because he brought those three or four players in, and then as you say, nothing else happened, and we needed to build on that. And it's the same talking into the future. Now it's the same with this summer. We're going to have low knees going back. We need eight or nine signings at the least. But instead, what we've said time and time again is we might get seven or eight in, but seven or eight go. And so it's a complete rebuild time and time again. And we we need a full squad next year and we need a squad that's unified under one manager. And that's that consistency and that's the best chance we've got. And will it happen for him? I don't know. The, the other key thing that Powell had was that the majority of players were out of contract at the end of that season, so they could be offloaded mm. quite, quite, or reasonably easily. Mm. Um, you know, now, now we've got you know Naby Sarr for another two years <laughs> on whatever he's earning a week. Um, you know, there, 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 there are players earning big salaries that we just can't get rid of, mm. and as we've learned the lessons before with uh, with Reza mm. um, and Vettikili and so on. You know, so Carl, you know, Carl Robinson may talk about 
how he's got a great budget and and so on. But that budget includes all these players, unless we mm. can get rid of them. And mm. Who's frankly going to want to take them? Yeah. Well, that's probably the the point that. I mean, fans fans remember the start of this season. There was a defender who wasn't getting many games. He's only started getting George Teixeira. And now, Russell Slade had he, uh, certainly had his reasons for, for not wanting to play him. Now, Carl gave him a, a clean slate. But, you know, the amount of money that, that he's supposedly on, which we all know is going to be a hot and for his age and the length of his, of his contract, I mean, that's not maybe not the sort of player that you need or the sort of character. I mean, you know, you can argue about his performances since he's come back in. He hasn't been awful. He hasn't been spectacular either. But that's the sort of thing we're talking about. And that's we've we've asked for for fans to send us in with some memories. And Tony, you've been looking at the Twitter. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that's come in. Uh, you've got a couple to pick out. Say, yeah, we'd be here all night if we did them all. But um, Marion says she remembers using the points total in class for maths puzzles. <laughs> uh, so every child knew every week how Charlton were doing, which I quite liked. Uh, yeah, a lot easier maths if they had to do it this season. Yeah. We're on ten Five points. points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Billy Hendricks has a one that I can relate to, which was having Charlton in his accumulator every week and actually being let down by a different team instead. <laughs> um, Not the case this year, I'm sure. Dan Sheed says, very importantly, just being proud to be a Charlton fan, which I think we've mentioned, but also as a specific memory as Wagstaff uh, scoring that volley against uh, Bournemouth in the first match of the season. Mm. It's worth reflecting on that Bournemouth game because mm. I mean I don't know if you remember, but um, Chris Powell was suspended for that game. Um, so we, was we, that a hangover from the from, Bristol Rovers? Yeah, Rogers exactly. Game, right? he, had, he had a two-game suspension. So he, due to the London riots, the second so the Reading game, the Cup <laughs> game was postponed. So mm. he, he missed the first two games. Yeah, you know, we st- we still absolutely smashed Bournemouth mm. in that first game, and from there we were off and running. Yeah, I think I, t- I actually told a liar there because I remembered I didn't I didn't get to that Bournemouth game either because I was on holiday, so I missed two games that season. So very very contrasting games. Uh, Any more? Uh, Talia says the day at Carlisle, uh, the yeah. free kicks from from Skip, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, Chris Powell crying, top from September the seventeenth, and ending Huddersfield's run, which is another one. Uh, I remember. Um, <laughs> there's, there's so many good stories that come out of that season. You forget that we ended Huddersfield's 50-year un, uh, yeah. un, unbeaten run, and you know that, that. That I mean, that game in particular. We're about to, we're about to come on to uh, the, the most important games of that season, uh, which I, I think is up next. Or is that? Um, I know we've got Jan replacing Hayes, which is another thing that was quite important. But in terms of thinking about actual games, that I mean. You know how how good it felt to. I mean that that's when we stamp our authority on League One. You know Huddersfield are this team that everyone knows about their forty three game unbeaten run or something along those lines, and they came to the Valley and they didn't have a kick, and we we beat them quite comfortably two 0 on Sky TV, which we know is actually impossible to, to win a game on, on Sky TV as well. So just one of the very good memories. Right, let, let's hear. I mean because there, there was an important uh, decision that, that Chris Powell had to make, uh, sort of uh, early on in that season because we started uh, the start of that season. It was it was Bradley Wright Phillips and Paul Hayes who who'd actually had a nice a nice little partnership going uh, and then uh, a certain Frenchman became available uh, and Chris had a decision to make so let's find out how, how difficult it was for, for, for Chris Powell to, to make that decision it was, it was a hard one because actually Paul came in and he's a clever player I mean he's still playing now which is credit to him but he played well uh, I could see he was a decent partner a really good partner for, for Brad because he was very unselfish he was always looking to drop deep and link the play which in the system we played was was good but I always felt we just missed something from the team and you're forever looking to improve the team you're forever looking to make the team better and you know I like Paul he was a, a, a likeable member of the, the group and that harmony in the group was, was fostered from pre-season you know we went out to Lepe and um 
you know, we had a couple of incidents which we, we look back and laugh on now, but actually they were sort of making of the group. You know, I think it was a test for me as a young manager, new manager, and, you know, you always get it where players might test you and might do things you don't want, and it's how you react and how you manage that is always crucial because players are always looking at you, they're always thinking, you know, how is the manager going to react to this? And I've been a player, so I know exactly what players are looking for. And, uh, you know, looking back, I managed it well alongside the staff, and I think the players, they knew exactly what I wanted, what I was looking for, and uh, I think it was the making of us. And then, you know, we, we started off the season brilliantly, and it, it went on from there. You know, we didn't lose for, I think it was, what, the first 11 games? Yes, seven wins in the first nine, yeah. Yeah, the harmony grew from there, the players knew there was a line, but they knew also that I was with them, and I was backing them, and there were new players that were bedding in, but, you know, I wasn't lying to them. They knew exactly what I said to them, you know, many of the new players was, was true. We, we were going for it. There was no quarter given. You know, there's, I didn't want them to, I wanted them to, to lead. I wanted them to, to have a feeling for the team and for each other. Um, because that's what I always felt the club and the team was built on when I was a player. So I wanted that back and I wanted them to maintain that. And moving a, a, a key player and, and Hazy was and showed he was a key player at the beginning. It was, it was delicate, you know, it was delicate because I knew he was a popular player and I knew Jan from his experience at Leicester, it wasn't great. Everyone knew about his, his, his penalty uh, against uh, Cardiff, the, the fans didn't want him to wear a Leicester shirt again, he was basically banished. But I got to know Jan really well as a young coach. He wasn't fitting in. He didn't really settle in the Leicester area. So when I, 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 it was a chance phone call. I was trying to look at different players to, to come in and, and add to the, the strike force we had at the time. And I just said, I've got a player who, if he shows any qualities that he showed on the training field and on the other occasion on the pitch, for Leicester, then I said, we've got a player who can play at this level, but I'm going to have to be quick, you're going to have to trust me, I'm going to have to sell it to him. So I run the hand myself, and he was on the verge of going back to, to France, but I just said to him, look, you'll love London, you'll love the club, you can make yourself a hero, and it'll just be good for your own self-esteem. You know, you're a player that can play in this country, I mean, he's proven it since that he's been and now to Reading and he's been promoted with Bournemouth and got promoted with us and you know he's in a playoff basis with Reading he's paid the money for English football so I just said to him you know buy him but mix him you know I remember I said to him you didn't really mix him with the uh, the squad at Leicester I said but do it for me here if you do it the players will love you the, the crowd will love you and more importantly, you know, I see you scoring goals and showing and proving a lot of people wrong. 
bit unsure, but he, he, he got to trust me uh, at the time, together at Leicester. I suppose the rest of history came in, I was very, sort of, I didn't put him straight in the team, I made him sub, just to show that he had to buy in to what we were doing. And of course, even when he was sub and coming on the sub, he contributed, I think he contributed against Chesterfield, and then he came on against Sheffield United to score with his first touch. And all of a sudden, people were seeing, you know, the players were seeing his quality uh, in the air, on the ground, with free kicks, that this was a player who could, he could only do one thing, and that was add to what we already had. And, you know, I had to be uh, delicate with it, because, hey, he contributed. He certainly did. And he played a, he played a real crucial part in getting us going at the start and getting Brad going with scoring goals and uh, getting the team going. You know, I remember he, he contributed quite a lot. You know, I'll always be grateful to him for that. But of course, as a manager, you, you have to move on and, and progress. And that's what we certainly did with Brad in the end. There you go. Obviously, a, a difficult decision to make, but um, you know that, that's the way it goes in football. Sometimes you have to be ruthless. And uh, Paul Hayes dropped out, but I mean, Yan coming in, Yan was so important in that season. Finished uh, well, in, in the league second joint uh, top scorer with Jacko, obviously behind Wright Phillips. I mean, Jacko actually got one in the cup as well, which edged him ahead. Which I'm sure Jacko probably would have reminded Yan of at the time. But um, uh, firstly, on Yan, I mean, what an, what an important character he was in that season. Yeah, and. Uh... We're just saying off air then, I remember when he first came in and Hayes was getting dropped and I was gutted because Hayes and Wright Phillips had, uh, as we've said, had that partnership and he was vital, I thought, for Wright Phillips to get all those goals and I knew very little about Kermigan and then he got those quick-fire goals, he got that goal, I think, against MK and then, as Powell said there, scores with his first touch against Sheffield United and I was like, oh, hello, who's this? And uh, quickly just became a fan's favourite because he he left everything on the pitch. Every single game he came off and you knew he had nothing left to give. And again, I don't want to sort of bring us down by comparing too much this season or or any season since then. But I don't know how often we could say that about players these days. And he was just, you could just tell everybody seemed to love him. Um, Obviously, I wasn't there. Matt can maybe say a bit more about what he was like as a character behind the scenes. But just on the pitch, he was such an easy player to enjoy and to appreciate as a fan. Yeah, good email from Vic. Said I'd have Chris back tomorrow, but not under this regime. Our club's been destroyed. We want our our Charlton back now. When you're dropping a player that's played a very important part at, at the start of the season in Paul Hayes, and uh, there's there's others that, that throughout the season would have who would have played a lot of games then got dropped. Now, the way you man manage that is so important because if you drop a, a player who's been important and all of a sudden they're unhappy and they're they're talking in the dressing room about how they're not happy and they're dragging others down, then that can have a massive effect. So the, the way that Chris had to manage that. Uh, well, clearly went quite well because we won with 101 points. <laughs> you got the impression that, that Paul was unhappy or did yeah, happy? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, the, the key achievements of Powell's regime is is that um, the players that had every right to be dissatisfied from being out of the team, such as Paul Hayes when Yang came in, um, such as Matt Taylor even for the last sort of 10, 15 games of the season when Liam Court replaced him, um, both players barely kicked a ball after after that for Charlton um, and left at the end of the season. Yet they left singing Powell's praises um, because of the way they'd been involved in the season, the way he'd kept them involved in the squad, um, how he'd explained his thinking to them. Um, 
it's, it, it, was, it was a real achievement, I think. Yeah, uh, we're getting a couple of tweets in from Peter Finch, who we all remember used to, used, used to be here, and he says uh, uh, he remembers Matt handing us the, the Jan signing press release, looked at him and thought, who on earth is this? And then I Googled him and, and watched his penalty, thought we'd signed a wrong, and little did I know. I mean, well, there, there probably was a lot of that when he came in, actually. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Even from our side of um, <laughs> side of things, I mean, we 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 wrote that press release. We you know, we we barely heard of him, you know, championship and, and Leicester's um, promotion campaign playoff uh, failure wasn't really you know registering with us in our in our mire the previous season. Um, so yeah, that was all very much out of the blue, frantically chasing around. Oh look, he's done this penalty. Um, <laughs> let's try let's try and gloss over that in the press release. Yeah. It's fair to say that Leicester, of course, has never recovered from that. <laughs> uh, right. Um, uh, the, the, you know, as, as fans, we all have our our favourite games uh, in that season. I mean, he's. I mean, if you had to, if you had to be put on the spot, I mean, important away wins for me personally it was a away game at Oldham. Uh, where uh, I remember the, I think there was train problems, so you, we all went up on the coach, and it was difficult to get up there. And then uh, I think it was it Trevor Kettle was the ref that day, and uh, we were we were down to I think Danny Hollands was the first one sent off, if I remember rightly. Uh, then it was then it was ten all. Then I tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news: ad free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I think we, we took the lead just after halftime with Jan Kermig and Hedda and then we went down to nine men when, when uh, Scott Wagstaff was sent off for slipping over. And, uh, and Basically. Then, yeah, and there, was, there was this crazy last 20 minutes where... Uh, we were bombarded, and, and I remember Leon Court winning every single header. But I mean, just the character we showed to, to win that game, I mean, that was the day that I thought, oh, we're winning this league. <laughs> Terrible pitch as well. I don't, yeah. know, I don't remember it had been snowing um, the week previously, and, and it was just an awful, awful pitch. Yeah, because the, the pitch at Oldham hasn't got any better from, from when we went up there on Valentine's Day this year. It was just as bad. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, uh, Chris Powell would have, would have picked his favourite games from that season. We want to know what yours are as well. Don't forget to keep your tweets coming in. We've got hundreds of tweets coming in and messages on the, the Charlton Life Forum. Uh, we've still only got the one email, so I'm starting to worry if the emails are down. But there's plenty of ways you can get in contact with us. So tweet us at Charlton Live, uh, email studio at charltonlive.co.uk. Uh, head over to the Charlton Life uh, message board where there's uh, a few messages on there already. But we want to know uh, what your most important games were of that season. And this is what Chris Powell had to say when he was asked that question. That was the game after Hartlepool.
really, you know, most people say they have to, they need weeks, months to bed together and get to know one another. But they just clicked straight away. They, they, they got to understand what I was. And they done it. We kept it very simple. Um, and if we had any setbacks, we would quickly do our best to rectify them as a group. You know, those results, I think, will always give any, any, any team, you or all, belief in what they're doing. And, uh, we just went on from there and, you know, winning sort of in the last minute away at Yeovil, uh, on Boxing Day. They're just, they're just big, big moments. And then, I think, whenever we had a setback, we tended to bounce back straight away. Uh, with either a draw or a win. So, after Stevenage, uh, you know, we got a positive result. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> but I remember, you know, we, we lost to, to, to Orion. Uh, we went down to 10 men, then got sent off early on. And then we got a result two days later. Uh, and I think a, a test, a real test for us was when we, we lost to Colchester. Not scouting. Yeah, they're not scouting result. I mean, no one saw that coming at all. Uh, at all. That was a, that was a bit of a test. And we drew up at Scumford yep. the next game. Um, which was important. Didn't need to, I didn't want three in a row. Two in a row, and they were both at home, which, which was a disappointment. But, uh, you know, the players rallied round one another and, and handled the pressure. We were top, we were there to be shot at, and uh, so we, we got back and went on from there. But I think winning at Oldham, I think was the one for me. I know it was close then, we were close to sort of uh, the results and what we wanted, but winning um, at Oldham with, if we go down to nine and they went down to ten, was... Uh, I mean, that was just huge. That just showed me then yeah, that this group could actually do anything. They were committed. They, whatever was put in front of them, they were knocking it down. And they were knocking it down together. Whether it was 11, 10, or in that case, 9. That moment then just said to me on that, that drive home, you know, this group will stop at nothing. They, they want this trophy. They want this promotion. They won it on their CVs. There you go. <laughs> so, so many good good memories of specific games there. I mean, I mentioned the older one. I mean, you got a favourite one, Matt? Well, um, the older one for me as well. So, I mean, I um, I wasn't planning to go to that game. Um, my wife's from Wigan, and um, it was at Easter weekend, so I, I went up to, to Wigan uh, to see relatives for Easter. Um, and then I made a late decision on the day that I'd go and uh, join Gary Haynes and, um, and help him out on the day. Um and as, as as we've just been talking about, Chris, just been talking about, you know, it was just an amazing game. And, and you came away at the end of that game. I was lucky enough to be around the changing room afterwards and sorting all the media interviews out um, and everything. And, you know, the 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 euphoria and the the belief after that game mm. was, was, as Chris describes, you know, it was, it was just certain we were going to win the league from there. And in terms of important games, you mentioned there about, um, you know, our first defeat of the season came away at Stevenage, a game where, you know, I remember we, we conceded a ridiculous deflected goal. And then I think I think we were very angry with the ref by then. It's one of those ones where you you come out of it feeling you've been robbed. And again, that's one of the ones that that can derail a season. It can that knock to your confidence. But he talks about he said he couldn't remember what the next.
this game was, but it was, it was a 4-0 home win against Carlisle. I mean, th- these are the things where he talks about the character, and at the end he was talking about another game there where he knew that, I think it was the older one he was talking about, he knew that those players wanted that trophy. But the, the way you react to hardship, and that's something that, I mean, particularly, I remember last season, the way we reacted to conceding a goal last season was to go on to concede two more within ten minutes. I mean, the the, the way, I mean, what, what did you think it was Chris's, the, the mentality that Chris had, the, the type of characters he brought into the squad that they'd be so good at bouncing back to, you know, when, when they took one on the chin? Yeah, it's difficult to say. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it's all about the manager. It's, um, I mean, Curbs used to, um, used to do it very well in... Just go back to basics, you know. Don't don't worry about the opposition. Play four four two, be quite narrow, be defensively minded. Just be absolutely solid. You know, we're not going to get beaten, or we're not going to concede a goal in the first half. Um, and and just make sure that you know one loss doesn't turn into two losses, into three losses. Um, you know, just getting back on track as quickly as mm. possible. And did you did you have a favourite, Tom? Yourself? As I said off air, there wasn't too many I was able to attend because I was working Saturdays that season, but. Um, one that was mentioned actually by someone on, on Twitter which I'd probably agree with was the Fulham away um, in the FA Cup because obviously we got thumped but I thought we played really well that game um, and the, that unity then between the Charlton fans and, and the, the noise we made and the chanting about the fact we were winning the league I thought that was great fun um, and also uh, and it sounds a bit cheesy but that first game of the season when I turned up and there were all these players I'd never really heard of because I'd obviously kept an eye on the site through the summer and seen the signings, but I didn't know who a lot of them were. And it just seemed so easy compared to the past two or three seasons. I was talking to you guys about when we played Notts County away the season before and limped to a defeat. And it just seemed like these players were, it was so comfortable for them. And they just all came together. We scored some good quality goals in that game. And I just thought, we're going to have a real good go this season. And you could see it straight away. We asked uh, for everyone else's. Uh... Uh, favourite games we'll, we'll come on to the tweets in a minute I just noticed there's a conversation going on between Pete Finch and, and, and Norman uh, talking about a meat shop in, uh, in Hartlepool I don't want to know, know what that means but um, <laughs> uh, another one here I mean like I say you, you forget games I mean Sheffield Wednesday away uh, when, when Jacko scored that free kick and then Repeated it, repeated the trick the next week, just as my dad said. There's no way he's going to do it two weeks in a row. <laughs> uh, but that's that Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday away. I mean, so we went to both our title, you know, rivals that season, both the Sheffield teams, and we beat them. And that that sort of big win away from home was something that, as a Chomp fan, I wasn't really used to in a, in a season like that. And I remember the celebrations at the end of that game were, were something very special, weren't they? There was loads of train tra- tra- train travel. Mm. Uh, problems as well, wasn't there on the, on the way to that Sheffield Wednesday game? So yeah. loads of fans turned up late and um, got, obviously got to enjoy themselves yeah. a lot afterwards. Uh. Yeah, I remember actually. Luckily, I drove out that game. I remember, funny enough, uh, this is more of a personal story, but dri- driving through Shortlands and seeing a, a fella I recognised heading towards the train station. I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. And getting up to the pub here, and that same fella was on my table at the pub, and it turned out to be Ollie, uh, Ollie Groom. <laughs> and so I met Ollie, Ollie that day. That's probably how. Sort of the, the stepping stone for how I got onto this show, really. But um, yeah, again, that's the story of meeting friends in a special season. Uh, have we got any other tweets of what people have shared as, as yeah, favourites? Yeah, so I think what started that conversation between Pete and Norman, because he says favourite away game was Hartlepool uh, and a thumping 4-0 win, and he mentions him there. Um, at home beating Huddersfield to ruin their run. Uh, Reese uh, mentioned the 4-0 at Fulham, um, and the atmosphere was brilliant. Um, Garmy head chef. Uh, says too many memories of that season but the massive fans each week telling us we were going to muck it up and they would win yeah well, our, our own fans saying oh you've got to be careful Sheffield United are going to come good it's only taken them six years but they've finally <laughs> done it now haven't they <laughs> uh, and then Freddie Saunders uh, agrees with Reese uh, and says the Valley Floyd Road singing in, in that away end was insane um, Pete 
Peter O'Sullivan. Great memories of that season, but always remember the Danny Holland's diving header versus Preston. Uh, and a good performance all round. Pointing up at half time in that game. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, that's it for now, I think. But as you say, just so many games that people can can pick out. And if you try and do that on other seasons, like Cardiff five four springs to mind in recent seasons. But there aren't many others over recent mm. years that you would pinpoint. And that season we can pick four or five it, like comfortably. Yeah. The Huddersfield um, the Huddersfield home game was quite mm. good fun because obviously Sky were there to cover it. Um, and everything was about Huddersfield. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the number of interviews that were going on with Huddersfield players, managers, all the all the coverage was about Huddersfield. Um, I think it was Daryl. Ru- was it Daryl Russell who got the goal that day? Uh, um, yeah, Yang got Ephraim, one as well. Um, was it Hogan? Ho- Hogan Ephraim. Ephraim. Yeah. Sorry, Hogan yeah. Ephraim. Yes, of course it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> players, see, these are players you can easily forget. But what the, till I watch the DVD, there's an unsung heroes which is uh, coming up in a couple of a, a couple of clips time, which we, we can talk about uh, then. Now, there's something I was I was thinking about today actually, which I'll ask you at some point. So, we might as well do it now. Now, I remember at the start of that season, you, know, you obviously met on doing the Charlton Twitter and that sort of stuff. But there was a hashtag that Charlton fans were using, which I'm I'm thinking there's no way you would have used this during the season. That was Champions Come May. If I remember rightly, now so Charlton fans started using that very early in that season. I'm, I'm guessing that you must have been very careful not to use that. Uh, I don't remember that to be honest. Yeah, um, not at all. No, we, we um, were using it all season on Twitter. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, no, I don't, I don't remember that. I remember obviously um, before the start of the season, four four two magazine um, yeah. <laughs> predicted that we finish eighteenth yeah. um, at the end of the season. They, they very sort of kindly. Um, their editor bought bought one of our things on eBay that we, we put up um, as a joke. Um, Maybe they're looking five years into the future. <laughs> R- R- Racing Post predicted that we'd win it. I remember. So, yeah. uh, oh, so kudos to them. <laughs> uh, right now, now this clip uh, is interesting because it's about a player that I'm guessing. I mean, to be honest, until I heard this clip during the week, I, I completely forgot he ever played for us. And this is uh, Leon Clark. Now, this is someone who came in. Uh, during the season, it was a swap deal for for Paul Benson. Is that, is that correct? Was it swap and money yeah. or just and a, a straight and swap? A bit of cash as yeah, well. Yeah. Yes. So we we paid actually. We paid. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say yeah because that would be would have been a very unfair swap otherwise. <laughs> I liked Benno, but he's not quite that level. But um, now now so let, let's hear about um, how he came in because the way he came in was obviously quite interesting. Uh, so let's hear what Chris Power to say about about Leon Clark coming in. Yeah, I mean Leon Clark. Uh, but of course, yeah, the 
the lads. Uh, and that, and that was, was, was tough. You know, I chased a mule as well, you know, it's obviously part of the club at the minute. He, again, was just that experienced one. I uh, wanted in and around sort of the group. He knew he wouldn't play, but he contributed. That was tough, you know, but in the end, Leon, you know, he, he didn't like it. So in the end, you know, like I was always fair with a lot of players. Okay, fair enough. You know, if I can, if I can get you playing somewhere, I will, and I'll, I'll bring in someone else. So there you go, that's uh, Chris Powell talking about Leon Clark. Now, a player that most of us will probably forgot, and like I say, I completely forgot he actually played for us until until we were going through this interview, uh, the clips during the week. But it's, it's, the way he came to us, obviously quite interesting. He just had a falling out with Paolo Di Canio at Swindon, which I think involved a, a boot and a backside. But um, the, the fact the fact that he ended up with us along, and you said there were some similarities with the way that Mikko Alonso ended up with us as well. Yeah, I mean, the the main reason I asked, it, uh, asked Chris about this was um, I was interested in the parallels between, um, obviously, the, the episode um, under Roman de Chatelet. Um in terms of um, his squad being built for him. So um, that season, um, Powell had a budget at the start of the season and then Tony Jimenez wanted um, to sign Mikel Alonso. Um, Powell said, you know, he doesn't fit into my plans, into my structure. Um, Tony Jimenez says, well, I'm signing him anyway, so so you've got him. And Powell said, well, as long as he doesn't come into my budget, you know, he's extra, then that's fine. Um, and the difference being um, in in both the case of um, Leon Clark and Alonso, Leon Clark was Jimenez saying, "We've got Benson. Clark scoring goals is probably worth more. Why don't we get him in? Um, and then he'll be worth more more money in the long run." Um, the, the the case with both of those is that yes, um, Powell lost control in in those transfer dealings. But he retained the control of who who he could select for his team and his squad, um, and obviously, you know, not, neither player featured much because they didn't fit into his plans. Um, under Mister De Chatelet, um, obviously, the the pressure was much more significant. Mm. Um, so yeah, that 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 was that was sort of why I asked went down that line. Yeah, and I guess um, you know, in, in terms of that was obviously one of the main problems we had under De Chatelet when, when Powell was here that he, he didn't feel like he could pick his own team, and you know, that affects that affects. Team morale so much. I mean, we, we, we've talked about a wonderful result at Sheffield United. There's a terrible result we had at Sheffield United in the Cup quarter final, where you know emails that have since leaked have, have uh, shown that there, there was obviously some discord between the the owner and, and and the manager at that point over who who was supposed to be playing, particularly in goal. Um, and and we saw how that affected the team that day. Yeah, um, and you know it continues. If if players know the manager isn't in charge. Um, I mean, Powell referenced it earlier. Um, earlier in, in in one of the interview excerpts, um, you know, pl- players take liberties. You know, the, the the manager has to instill that discipline. The players have to know where the line is. Um, you know, and this, I mean, this this isn't something that just happens at Charlton. You know, own, owners are difficult um, the the country and the world over. Um, I know another owner who, uh, where the team lo- loses on a, on a Saturday. Um, he's there at the, at the training ground Monday morning, eight o'clock, with with all his stats about who who's been taking corners and who shouldn't be taking corners, mm-hmm. and so on. It's but it's but it's all about you know what ca- ca- can the manager retain the respect of the players, 
um, how can he manage those players and the squad and, and keep everyone going in the, sa- in the same direction yeah and obviously that's a, a problem we've had uh, recently uh, unfortunately now obviously in any promotion season there's always going to be the standout players who you you love and, and, and you and you hoist up on your shoulders at the end of the season you go, you go look at your Yans and your, and your Jackos and your Wright Phillips who scored so many goals that season I, I think Wright Phillips might even go down the slightly being forgotten by chunk yeah, fans actually yeah, yeah. Uh, but um there's all, there's also always going to be people doing the dirty work now. You know, Radisan Kishishev in the Premier League was my favourite dirty player, as, as, I'd, as I'd call him like that. And when he came in here a few months ago, I was shaking like a schoolgirl at, at some sort of like. I was going to say careful. Yeah, <laughs> at some at, you know the wanted concert or something like that. But um, there's always players who, who do the dirty work behind the scenes, and obviously managers are going to have their favourites. Uh, you guys probably have your favourites as well. So let us know who you think the unsung heroes were from that campaign. I've just tweeted out a picture of Bradley Pritchard, for example. Mm. Uh, but this is what Chris Powell said. Matt Taylor, I think sometimes, because Leon Corp came in, and obviously, of course, he had you know, Premier League experience. But Matt Taylor was really understated. He really was. You know, someone like him, who, towards the, sort of, towards the end of it, wasn't playing as much as he was in the first half, but he was still there, still playing, and, and still being uh, part of the group. Uh, Lads like that, you, you have to keep going. Sevilla uh, Vina, you know, John Sullivan, you know, they, they know they're not going to play. They know that the first choice is they're going to play, but I was always going to have to call upon them at some stage. And that, that was important. And even the lone players that came in, the Dale Russells, Danny and Gesson and Lee Cook, you know, they, they were lads that played a part, Hogan Ephraim. That was called a crucial goal against Huddersfield. We stopped their run. And, uh, I think they were up there for 40 plus games. And, uh, and we stopped it, you know, live on Sky. And those lads played a, a massive part. I know people will always remember Yan, Jacko, Brad, you know, Wiggins, Solly, Pima, the regulars. They were the, the, the lads that played all the time, but these guys came in and contributed, scored goals, cleared, you know, cleared, I remember Jason, you were clearing one off the line of where Rochdale were 2-0 up, two, two, they got it back 2-2, two, two, went 3-2 up, they could have equalised last minute, I, I remember it clearly, you know, and things like that, that's two extra points that got us in the hundreds, 101 club, and you know, I'll, I'll forever thank those lads and made sure that they were never forgotten the roles that they played. So there we go, Chris Powell talking about the uh, unsung heroes. I mean, like I said just before the start, I mean, Pritchard was, was one of them. I think, yeah, you know, I think it's fair to say he was unsung. I remember we've talked about that Sheffield uh, Wednesday away win, the 1 0 with Jacko. I remember when, when Pritchard went off late on in that game, thinking, oh, he's, he's had such a good game. He was being, being Bradley Pritchard, basically. He was all, he was all over yeah. all over the pitch. But I mean, everyone has their favourites. Tom, did you have a favourite sort of unsung hero from, from that season? It would probably, probably be Andy Hughes. Um, <laughs> which is Again, yeah. Gone, yeah. but I always remember and a lot of the games he started on the bench but I remember him coming on and just doing a job and securing things when we needed those those backs against the wall victories he came on and did that job and he's another one that I know Paul has since talked about and obviously you can see with him going on to start a coaching career his like his just being around the dressing room how important that was and his experience because a lot of that squad was quite young and he came in and he just gave that added experience and motivation and you could see him when he came on g and other players up and 
we've talked about leaders so many times and he was another one that okay he didn't I don't think probably played about 20 odd games that season but such a big character around the group and, and as I say just kind of secured those extra points for us I had a particularly painful moment this weekend last year when a, a, I, was, I was covering an FA Cup semi-final uh, and I was down in the mix zone watching players of, a, of one of our rival teams coming out and then I completely forgot he worked there I just saw Andy Hughes walking walking along the mix zone in a palace suit I was like oh god <laughs> because, because I did love him another one I'd written down on mine I mean just, just players who came in and just did something. There was Danny and Gesson scored mm. one or two very vital goals yeah. at the end of that season. Again, the, like in in terms of unsung heroes, you, you forget about you know Chris had to bring in extra players as that season goes on, and he also picked wisely, I guess. I mean, another one who gets slightly forgotten, I think, is Danny Hollands, and you know he, yeah. he played more or less the entire season, um, scored quite a few goals actually. I mean, he, and he had triplets in that time as well. Must have got to about ten, I think, yeah. and, and yet generally he was sort of the unfussy. Mm. Um, the, un- the unfussy central midfielder Dale Stevens. Um, I-, I was looking up the stats when I was writing, writing the piece for The Voice um, Dale Stevens didn't play as often as I thought that season actually he had, he had a long spell out with injury he had, I think he only played 28 games yeah. um, which, which surprised me that was obviously why Hogan, Ephraim and, the, and, and those sorts of players came in Daryl yeah. Russell um, but yeah, throughout Hollands was there, and, and, he, and he stepped up and did, did, did the goal scoring, the creating as well. And Stephen scored one of the goals of the season. Actually, I was, I mean, people argue that Jans is uh, the, the best one against Hartlepool in that final. There, but that that late equaliser against Berry that yeah. at the time kept our unbeaten home record going. This was in January. Uh, sort of gets forgotten. Now we, we sort of mentioned just while we're talking off there in terms of a character that. Uh, that, that we all remember. I mean, ben Hamer was one of the most eccentric. I mean, they, people say you have to be eccentric to be a goalkeeper. He's probably the most eccentric person I've ever seen playing for Charlton. Uh, what, what was he like around the, around the place? Really good fun. Um, one of those players that, that keeps everyone in the, in the camp amused. Um, you know, really dedicated though. Um, him, John Sullivan, uh, another another sort of um, really good humoured guy. Um, ben Roberts had a really close knit group. Um, with some of the younger keepers as well, um, they they sort of drove themselves on. John Sullivan is a, is a is a good person to mention. Red, mm. you know, hardly played. Someone's mentioned him yeah. on Twitter actually. Yeah, yeah, not not even playing. Now. I think he's out in Las Vegas doing doing some yeah. sort of job. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What were the what have the listeners oh, yeah. said as there as on some heroes? He's uh, that's the only one we've got so far. But uh, Sean Doran just said John Sullivan, the backup goalie, yeah. very active on social media, which was something we talked about earlier about that kind of link between player and fan. Um, and never seemed to get angry um, yeah. at being left out, and, and how could you when Ben Hamer was playing so well? But uh, yeah, that's the only mention. I've yeah, seen well, so a couple far. more have just rolled in. In fact, in the last few seconds, Bob Liskin says, "How about Danny Haynes? Uh, when fit, a great striker." So now he didn't play much at all that season. I think the next season was when mm. we started to really appreciate what he had uh, when he when he had his hamstrings intact. Um, uh, Danny Hollands was mentioned by Craig. who said there. Uh, Pete O'Sullivan said, "Unsung hero, Danny, and guessing important goals." Uh, he goes. He says it's amazing how the how Chris Powell recalls all the details. I mean, we heard it earlier on when he's talking about he can remember all the stats like that. It's, um, I mean, when I was a younger fan, I could do that. I can't do that anymore. So, the, but he's, he's is he like a little schoolboy in the way he thinks about football sometimes? Or uh, it's it's an oft um, known fact that as, as a football reporter, you should never trust any statistic that any football manager or player tells you. <laughs> All, always check the statistic. Um, so, like a ten-game league, a ten-team league at the bottom of League One, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, maybe. Um, so yeah. So but, I mean, the actual truth is, I mean, we cut it out of this. Um, we cut out of these excerpts, but um, um, Chris did at one point. We, we, we were talking about Paul Hayes, um, and um, he was he was remembering the game against Berry, and you know he just said, "Oh yeah, Hayes got the first, Jacko got the second away at Berry." Um, so you know he, he very much has that, um, yeah. that down to that, that season in particular down pat. Yeah. 
day after my birthday that game, so I can remember that one. <laughs> uh, uh, Mark just tweeted in saying, I love Bradley Wright Phillips. The guy who sat behind me hated him and always criticised him. So whenever Bradley scored, I turn around and high-five everyone except him. <laughs> uh, right, um, we're coming to the end of the Chris Powell interview. We've got one more thing, really. And, um, Matt, you sort of asked him what he's... Uh, for an overall conclusion and his uh, perhaps his regrets, and I'm sure there's... Uh, with the, the way the way things panned out after this season, I'm sure that there's plenty of those. You know, I look at Bournemouth, I look at Eddie Howe, and I look at the journey he's had with them, and I always think that could have been us and Charlton. I always do, because he was given a chance at a club that he was affiliated with, he was manager of a real tough period initially, got through it, just like, you know, I did initially. And then he was allowed to build and grow, which all managers want. And if you give him that time, and you get that back in, like we did in that first season, then all of a sudden you, you're, you're on that journey, you're on that road that you want to be on, then you need to add that back into scale. And that's what I felt was the trick we missed, was we had that first season in the championship. And don't get me wrong, at times, when we lost to Middlesbrough and you know, things weren't looking great for us and then the, the, the infamous Cardiff game, you know, we started to, we only lost five games on the road that year. Because people don't remember that. <laughs> five games in the championship on the road. It was brilliant. Of course, we got some results that uh, went for us. I remember being sort of Leeds and Wolves last minute and John Abika doing, you know, what he did. But, you know, we got some really good results, you know, but the writing was sort of on the wall there. You know, I was told I was going to spend millions and all that. Obviously, it was, it was a load of, load of nonsense. Uh, you know, I signed Dorian the bit on a free. You know, Salim Kirkar after a trial. You know, this was us trying to build. You know, and I just looked back on the side that had done that. Right, Southampton, when they went up, they had that momentum, like Bournemouth when they went up, and when they went up the season after, then they consolidated and went up. I wanted us to do the same. And, uh, and we didn't, and sadly, progressively, it got worse. And, uh, yeah, I do look back with a touch of sadness, really, because everything was with us. The fans were coming back, they were back in their numbers, and, you know, the players were, were happy. But the, the, the change started to, to happen then. You know, Jackson, Kermit Gap were all promised new deals and we went up and stayed up. They did that. And then just felt, well, what's happened? All of a sudden it kept happening. You know, these key players were all of a sudden going to be out of contract. And of course, the rest is history. So, you know, you, you, you have to look back with fondness on that year, uh, which I, which I always do. It's forever. With me now, which is which is brilliant. Uh, I'd love to do it again, you know, uh, with the side, uh, and who knows where uh, where that may may happen again. And you know, that's something that uh, you know, I look back with complete fondness. You know, fans will forever talk about that season because of all the great moments in that season. When you look back, there's so many massive moments in games, in individual performances, team performances, individual goals. You know, yeah, scoring that goal, that home target at the end of the season, I mean, 
think you were talking about the North Circular when he, when he, when he said that <laughs> play. but I mean uh, the, the way the, the, there are regrets going forward I mean but I think before we talk about that because the final three or four games of that season when, when every, everything had been sorted was, was just party time I mean talk about the, the day at Carlisle when uh, I mean you, we, we retweeted the video you, you sent us earlier of the celebrations on the pitch at Carlisle uh, then you had the Champions Day against Wickham where there was that, that moment when Dave Lockwood shouted, shouted champions, which was just one of the most special moments you, you, you'll have down here. And then there was the, the celebration. I mean, there was Preston away where we all went and dressed as astronauts and whatnot. And then there was, there was the, the celebration day against Hartlepool where just to cap off that season, Jan scored that ridiculous goal, which I, I have the unpopular opinion that he didn't mean it. But, um, <laughs> because yeah, I'm, I'm certainly told me that at a dinner a year later. But um, uh, the... Moments like that, as football, as a football fan, especially as a football fan of this club, don't come along too often, and you have to remember them. You have to cherish moments like that. Well, one of my regrets is I didn't go to Carlisle. Oh. <clears throat> um, it, I, if, if we remember, there was um, two other results. I think that day that had to go our way, and yeah. then we had to win away <laughs> at Carlisle. Such a long way. I thought, oh, I tell you what, no, I, I, I won't bother. Um, Gary went up there by himself. And then obviously I was following it at home, and um, it was getting more and more exciting. So I was on the, I was on the computer, um, and then um, everything went went our way, and Gary went off um, to, to sort out all the all the um, all the post match stuff. And so I, I, I was the one who got to tweet um, that we'd been promoted, and mm. when it was all confirmed, and so on. So that, that's that, it's, it's always nice when that when that tweet gets repeated uh, <laughs> every year, sort of around that time. That's always quite nice. Yeah. Well, I'm but, a- but it all stems from the fact that I didn't go. I, mean, yeah. I, I should have been there. Well, I remember being on the on the phone to my old man because when 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 the full time whistle went, there was people down the front. And I was thinking, you guys are idiots because if you go on the pitch, a goal's going to go in elsewhere, and I, I was like, I can't risk it. But I remember being on the phone to my dad and uh, again watching a video that one of my put, my friends had put on YouTube of that moment when when my dad said, "Yeah, it's sorted," and I was like, "Oh, we're up!" And it's such such a special moment. And then uh, I mean that that home game against uh, against Hartlepool, uh, Red Hat was it the the Parachutes, yeah. was that the Red, Red Devils? Red Devils, sorry, yeah, we're landing on the pitch. Did they bring the trophy or the, the they match brought, ball? They brought yeah. the match ball, yeah. I mean, I, so I, I was in charge of obviously organising yeah. all those match day uh, yeah. activities. And let me tell you, it was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> I can imagine. And we had the, the bizarre sideshow of uh, a load of Smurfs turning up for, from Hartlepool as well. But I mean, days like that, you, you don't you don't forget those days. Uh, as Chris Powell says, in, in, until you, you shuffle off... Uh, off this earth, do you, Tom? Absolutely, yeah. And and as you said there, as Charlton fans, we don't get them very often. So um, they're ones to cherish. And and like Matt, I wasn't wasn't at Carlisle as I say, I work Saturdays, but managed to finish at three that Saturday. And I remember just legging it home and just watching on final score, and and then probably following your social media from then on. And don't remember much of the night, but um, it's just such a good time to be a Charlton fan, mm. and, and certainly memories that, that I won't ever forget. Yeah, Finch's just tweeted in saying he, was, he wasn't needed for the for the Carlisle game for work, and he just couldn't get there. And he said, "Gutted does not cover." It. I mean, I remember like last uh, midway through that season, I'd made a conscious decision that I was going to every game, so I'd booked my Carlisle away train tickets, and they cost me about twenty quid when I booked them. So I was really lucky. But I remember my brother. Uh, 
uh, Con, who'd, who'd only decided in the week leading up, walk, had to walk from where we live in West Wickham to Bromley South to, to make sure he was on the coach to go up there. And then waving him off on the coach to go home, and people just went out of their way. Ollie Groom, I think, um, hitchhiked with some, some randoms to get up there and then obviously ran onto the pitch as well. Um, it's quick, such a special day. Quick story from uh, the Hartlepool game. Um, I was in charge of so the the post match stuff, so um, I had to deal with all the the players and their families on the lap of honour, um, and trying to get everyone round to see all the fans and wave, and uh, it, it was just you know it was terrible. I think I had the least amount of fun uh, <laughs> on, on that day that, that anyone in the ground had. <clears throat> but um, so I, we're in the middle of all this, and I'm I'm suddenly aware that there's this voice shouting, and he's like Matt, Matt, and I'm you know I'm trying to do something, like, Matt. And I turn around, and it and it's Chris. And he says, oh, you know, what do you want, Chris? You know, I'm, I'm trying to deal with all this. And he's got the trophy. He says, come and have your photo taken with the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Forget all that. <laughs> and is that, is that framed somewhere in your... I, I haven't got it. It was, uh, <laughs> to, be, to be honest, yeah, I don't, I don't know the photographer who took it. He just grabbed, <laughs> he just grabbed a photographer and, um, yeah, I've, I've got other photos with yeah. the trophy, but not that one. Uh, no. Excellent. Uh, Alex Stedman said, I oh, went to Carlisle solo and ended up injuring slash meeting Aaron Paul, one of the, one of the guys Aaron at full time in the, uh, in the celebration. Now, the other thing we touched on there is regrets. And, um, I mean, th- there can't be a Charlton fan who doesn't regret the way things went from there because uh, Chris mentioned, I think, Southampton there, the way that they... And I think it was Norwich as well, that I think that over the couple of seasons had gone up to, in, in, in quick mm. succession. We didn't do that, and that, that's got to be the the way that things turned out after that, panned out after that, is obviously such a huge regret because we we could have done something special. Yeah, it's more that we we did just we just didn't have the opportunity. You know, mm. if, if we'd have had the opportunity and failed, then then fair enough. Um, but but to not really have that opportunity and to um, for him not to get any support, it wasn't just the support he needed; it was any support whatsoever. Um, he was scrabbling around for signings. You know, he, he, he was just doing anything he could to, to get a team out um, at the start of that season. Um, you know, the, our, our eventual finishing position just off the playoffs was, was nothing short of a miracle. You know, it was even, mm. it was even better than the promotion season, if um, in my opinion. Um, so, so yeah, that I mean, I, it's it's a real regret that mm. that support wasn't there when when we needed it. Yeah, I guess the the best way to sort of end this, the Chris Powell segment, which has taken up the entire show, really. But we will very quickly look back at Chesterfield. There's a question from Bob Liscombe. He's, he sent us a couple of tweets uh, to my personal account. He said he's, he remembers the Chris Powell tunnel jump, which is always, always excellent. But then he says, right, uh, we all know we would want Chris Powell back as our next manager. Uh, does Matt, as he knows him better than us, think he would return? Um, it, well, it's a difficult one. He's, he's out of work at the moment, so um, <laughs> I imagine he'd leap at the, leap at the opportunity, tunnel leap at the opportunity. Um, well, he's got unfinished business here, surely. Exactly. He's unf- you know, people say don't. You know, people say don't come back. That that was the thing um, hurled at him when he came back. The, you know, the third or the fourth time. Yeah. Um, and you know, he, he's he's always said, well, why wouldn't I? I, I know this club so well. Um, you know, I have that connection with with the fans. Um, you know, why not? Right, excellent. Right, we've got five minutes. We're going to go slightly over time because there's a couple of things to talk about. We do need to, to talk about yesterday's game, a 2-1 win up at already relegated Chesterfield. We don't need review two were, were lucky enough to be there, so I had to 
uh, I had to go. I had to enjoy it on my own out, out of us three. But um, uh, not the greatest game I've ever seen. Uh, already relegated Chesterfield. Uh, we took the lead uh, through Jake Forster Kasky's strike, and then Ricky Holmes got a, a consecutive free kick goal. So uh, this one took a massive deflection off the wall. And then just to, just as I finished my uh, my match report, about five minutes from the end, saying that we'd won two 0 in a very comfortable, fairly standard away game, uh, it, it all sort of almost fell to pieces in injury time. We uh, Esri Konza made a mistake at the back. Uh, allowing allowing them to pull one, uh, pull one back and then Forster Kasky won and then missed a penalty so I had to add all that in uh, at the end obviously we caught up with uh, with uh, Carl Robinson after the game now we talked about the game for about 30 seconds and then he started, he took us down a different path which felt, which I found more interesting than the, the game that just happened so this is what Carl Robinson had to say after yesterday's win at Chesterfield Carl, nice to end your away days with a, with a win on the road yeah. it could have been a lot, a lot, a lot better um, disappointing that goal at the end um, He'll learn from that as a young player that will learn and grow. I'd rather do it when we're two in the rough away from home, it doesn't cost any points. Sometimes they cost you points. Um, but I thought, I thought we'd def- we were face strong there, I thought we looked comfortable. The game plan was to show up and to hit them on the counter attack whenever we could. I thought it looked like we could do that. And I thought Jake and the three in there were, were very, very good. I thought they moved the ball very efficiently. And our two wide players caused threats. Colin obviously getting Colin and Joe playing most football recently, so they to, to lose them towards the end of the game. I thought we missed them. Um, but it was, it was a good all-round performance and I'd say thank you to the fans for travelling all year um, I know it's hard and it's been a hard year for everybody but you still turn out your numbers you still sing and you still support us so we, we, can't, we can't ask any more so thank you for that um, like I said I want to stay top of that league it looks like now mathematically we can't be caught by anyone <laughs> um, so and we're catching people above us all the time I think if we win our game next week and results go forward you jump up two more places which is which I know it's not enough I know it's not enough but it's we're starting to take shape a little bit more. After that goal against Southend was taken away from him, it was nice for Jake to get his, his first. What well, do you know? The goal against Southend wasn't taken away. I think it was uh, Jake. That goal against Southend taken away from you. No, Jake. Jake. <laughs> Jake's still officially. Don't be too quick, Jake. 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 Jake's still It's up for debate. Jake's still uh, claiming that he said it wasn't in the box. But I've always said about Jake. He needs to do more. His talent is unquestionable. Um, but he needs to add goals to his game consistently. Um, so he wanted a penalty so much he wants to get more goals and he can play in a number of positions but he's such a talent and his ball striking is, is, is exceptional hopefully now he'll, have a, he'll go away he'll play well next week he'll have a good pre-season and he'll come back twice the player he is the, at the moment and that's got to be his aim and if it isn't well he's letting his talent down because he's so talented and hopefully we can build on that we saw a first league start for Carl and Ahern Grant um, yeah. what did you make of his performance is this a chance to look at him before next season yeah though? it was nice uh, to have a good look at him obviously with Joe Rebo starting there as well so there's a number of academy players and it was very young our average age was 23, 24 early so it was a, it was a young average age um, hopefully we can we can build on that youth um, and grow that youth and we're still nowhere near the art we want to be we're still a long way away but yeah, I thought he was very good he looked very threatening his decision making can be better Sometimes he dribbles and he can pass and pass when he can dribble. Um, but that's just a lack of games and a lack of game understanding. And hopefully that'll come. Jig still and Barnes on the bench as well. Do you yeah. think they might, they might get a chance next week? Um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I know and I know, I know Barnes he won't because I want to play Souls. Um, and I think obviously, hopefully, in, in it's where Jackal's going to maybe come more and do some more coaching next season. Um, so I want, I want Jackal to lead the team out next week. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be an important game for him. Lead his team out. I think with Sol stood behind him, it would be nice to finish off the season with, with the Charlton sort of players who have Charlton through the blood to, to be on the pitch. It would be nice to finish that. Um, so it's a case of maybe one or two be more get them on the pitch and get them minutes and then Jacko and Sol. I want to see them back together again because it's, uh, 
they're top players. You mentioned Jacker there. Am I right in thinking that his contract's up at, up at the end of the year? So, I mean, has a decision yes. been made on that? And yeah, we've made a decision. He's made a decision. I um, mean, always what I think of him. I think you see the relationship that we have. Um, I want good people at this place. I want people who can teach me about John. Um, I've got Lee Bowie who can teach me about this club from years ago. And Jack over recent years of through success and through the negativity he's been through all of them all of them has. And it's nice for me to, to learn from that and to be to, to grow and to try and educate the new players on what we expect a bit what Charlton chart DNA should be like and what a player should look like and it's so important to our development of the club, Jackal. So can we expect an announcement on, on that? Hopefully this week, yeah. It's Verbally done, I think so. He'll be all right, Jack. You know, <laughs> excellent. Uh, last last game of the season next week. So, what were your plans for it? More, more youngsters? Uh... No, I want to win the game. If we win, we can jump up two places. So, it is what it is. Be nice to finish off with, was it? Is that now three wins in the last four? Nice to finish off with four wins in in that period and be, be a nice with face three successive wins on the bounce. Um, and that'll be it. That'll be our, it's got to be our aim and our objective. And, uh, and we can build on it for next season. In the words of Charlton Exile, it's all going so well. <laughs> but, I mean, we have to keep the show current, don't we? Otherwise, um, if it was up to me, we'd do a, a, a show looking back at our 1947 Cup win every week. But there you go. Um, Carl Robertson talking after yesterday. I think, you know, the season's over. No one really cares about it. I mean, it was, it was a nice win. And there was a, I think everyone who went yesterday enjoyed their day, particularly the group of about 40 lads who were on the, the Chesterfield train platform after the game who were certainly sozzled, but certainly seemed to enjoy it. But, you know... Season's over now. We don't need to concentrate too much on the game, but there is something important that came out of that. And uh, Carl's uh, admitted that the Jacko is going to be here next season in some capacity. Now, it's, it's sort of up for debate what that capacity is going to be. He says he's going to lean more towards coaching. He said it was important that he leads out the team. So that sounds like he's never going to play again. But I mean, if, it's probably going to be a player coach role, I, I imagine, going forward for Jacko. You would have thought so. I mean, I. I'd be surprised if Johnny thinks his career is over at, the, yeah. at this point. I, th- I, th- I still, I think he's, he's he still thinks there's plenty left for him to do. Um, I mean, it's it's great news that he'll still be here. He's, he's you know someone who's a s- synonymous with Charlton in recent years and um, knows the club really well, um, cares about the club, um, and we we need as many of those around at the moment as possible. I think. Well, in terms of uh, characters, I mean. The, the way Carl's talked about wanting to rebuild the squad, he's, he's brought in Steve Gallen now, the former QPR coach, and he's talking about the right characters. I mean, that is the right, the right sort of stuff he should be saying. Uh, yes, I'd, 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 I'd question, you know, he's, he's brought in a new head scout and he was a coach, and he's not, not yeah. a scout. Yeah. I'd, I'd, st- slight query about that with me, um, but he's his own man. Um, I mean, the, the scouting seems to have been in shambles over recent years anyway. Um, so any, any improvement on that is, um, is good to hear. Um, he's obviously starting to think about um, next year. I'd have, I'd have liked to have sort of happened three, four, five months ago. Um, but that's the problem when, when you're not here long enough. You, you can't you can't start planning ahead long enough. And that's why I guess we've been talking about uh, over the last few weeks about because lots of questions about whether Carl was going to continue, especially when we were in in that horrible run of eight win eight games without a win. Um, we've been saying quite a lot on this show, especially in my my personal opinion, that you need to have stability, and that's something that we've lacked. So. That's why it's important that you don't sack your manager every six, yeah, every five minutes, isn't it? Yes, I'm, I, I should say I'm I'm, I'm firm with Charlton Exile um, in, in, <laughs> in, in terms of um, w- whether I rate Carl Robinson or not, but um, I'm not I'm I'm not hypocritical. We we can't, you know, this this club is in desperate need of stability. Um, we we can't afford to keep sacking managers. Yeah. Um, he's a manager we've got. I, um, I, I, m- much as I can't stand the word that that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> 
um, so contradictory, um, so unprofessional, I think, in, in some regards. Um, but, um, I, yeah, I can't see us getting rid of him either. There you go. Right, I think we should, we should end the show here because we've already gone uh, over time. But uh, it's, it's been so great to, to reminisce five years ago, like we say, this weekend since Dave Lockwood was on that valley pitch shouting out that word, champions. Uh, and, and we heard uh, from, from Chris Powell there. Matt, we're eternally grateful to, to yourself and Rick. Uh, for, for bringing us that interview and, and to yourself for, for coming in this evening don't forget obviously if you want to read more of that interview you can uh, get the voice of the value I, I guess Rick's going to be selling it at the last home game as well yeah it'll yeah. be on sale as usual last yeah. game yeah. So, but if not you can uh, head over to the voice of the value website to, to buy a copy of that as well so Matt thank you so much for coming in this evening no problem really enjoyed it yeah. Re- really enjoyed being a part of Chant Life and you know I was I've I was sort of part of bringing it back, yeah, I think, seven, so, yeah. seven years ago now. So it's yeah. great that it's still going strong. Two shows a week these days. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, knackering two shows a week. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you brought it back seven years ago, though. Tom, still water chart live these days. Thanks, thanks for coming Seriously. in. It's been, uh, it's been excellent reminiscing uh, about the show. With uh, Two more shows left to go this, uh, this season. Uh, we'll be back for a big match preview on Thursday. And then the final show of the season will take place after the, the Swindon home game. Uh, so while you're, you lot are all heading home after whatever happens, as long as the game finishes by 7 o'clock, of course, uh, meet myself, Tom and Nathan and Terry and everyone, Lewis, probably Sue, hopefully uh, as many people as possible, maybe and Crispy will, will come in for one. Yeah. Oh yeah, Mark's coming in as well Yeah, to, to feed us, which is important. Uh, we're we're going to hang around and do a show at 7 o'clock next Sunday to, to finish off uh, the season. But thank you so much for listening tonight. I hope you've uh, enjoyed listening to the, the Chris Powell interview. I certainly have. Uh, and uh, like I say, thanks for listening. Thanks for your memories of that special season and uh, and for tuning in uh, tonight. We'll see you on Thursday. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.